our reading today is from the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And we'll start with the 20th chapter. We'll be using one verse from that and then we'll move on down. So the 20th chapter, and we will have verse 10, excuse me, the 21st chapter, verse 10. And you will find that in your Bibles on pages 1132 and 1133. Before I begin reading, let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us this day as we hear the spoken word, as we hear the written word. May hearts and minds be opened to hear your message to us. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Okay. Verse 10 of chapter 21. And in the Spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. And then we jump down to verse 22. And we'll read from there through verse 5 of chapter 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no, no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to go from the back of the scriptures to about the middle. And I will be reading today an adapted version of Psalm 104, which will make more sense to you momentarily. But I'm going to ask you to do something a little dangerous now. Rather than opening up your Bibles to find Psalm 104, I'm going to ask you if you can do so without falling asleep to close your eyes and simply listen. Hear the words and Consider what images are drawn to mind as you hear the words of Psalm 104. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. God makes springs pour water into the ravines. The Cooper and the Ashley separate the land. They give water to all the beasts of the fields. The March tacky horses quench their thirst. Pelicans and Carolina wrens nest by the waters of Shem Creek. They sing among its branches. God waters the lands of the low country. The land is satisfied by the fruit of God's work. God makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, tomatoes and strawberries, peanuts and corn, iced tea to gladden human hearts, seafood to make our faces shine, and Carolina gold rice to sustain our hearts and bodies. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the live oaks and palmettos that God planted. There the night herons make their nests, the sea sparrow has its home in the marsh. The white-tailed deer and wild turkey make their homes in the forests, the sand dunes are a refuge for the sea turtle. God brings darkness, it becomes night, red wolves and coyote prowl. The alligators look for their prey and seek food from God. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the Atlantic, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures, shrimp and redfish, flounder and tarpon, dolphin and trout beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, sailboats and yachts, tugboats and cruise liners. There also goes Mary Lee, the great shark, whom you form to frolic there. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing my praise to God as long as I live. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And may God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this holy word. Amen. So where do you come from? What is that place that means a great deal to you where your sense of self or sen and sense of God's presence come together? For me, one of those places is a place called Linwood Park. It's in a little town called Vermilion, Ohio. While I have lived in many communities in my life, Linwood has been a constant. Linwood is a small gated community that once was a Methodist campground and meeting place, a little bit like Montreat. My great-grandfather purchased a cottage there when my grandfather was a little boy, and he grew up going there, and my mother grew up going there, and I grew up going there, and my children are having the opportunity of growing up and going to visit Linwood Park every year. In that place, you walk on the beach, sail on Lake Erie, ride your bike on the roads, and walk right down the middle of the streets because you needn't worry most of the time that the cars will be going too fast. 
The squirrels are fat and so used to being fed that they will come right up to you to collect a peanut from your hand. There are fish to be caught off the pier, shells and lucky stones and sea glass to be collected along the shoreline. And then when you walk out of the park down towards the town of Vermilion, you'll walk past the mini golf and the dairy dock, and the candy store, and the bakery, and the ship museum, and the lighthouse, and the little shopping places along the way. A couple of weeks ago, when we were walking together on Good Friday, my son Michael commented that Pitt Street reminds him of Vermilion, and that, in his opinion, that was a very good thing. One of my favorite experiences of being in Linwood Park every year is going down to the beach late at night, close to 10 p.m., to watch the sunset in June and July. And while those experiences and memories are deeply meaningful to me, there are other places and experiences of God's creation that I have been touched by over the years. Certainly, many opportunities to watch the sun rise over the Atlantic. Watching a superpod of hundreds of dolphins traveling together in the Indian Ocean. The abundance of stars at night in rural Malawi. The mountains rising up over the farmland in my parents' home in Oregon. And even the tiny fingers and toes of my sons when they were each born. Yet one of the reasons that I adapted our psalm today for this community is to remind us that God's creation is not simply an ancient event that happened someplace else, and that the beauty of creation is not only found in the magnificent drama of mountains and elephants, of northern lights and solar eclipses, but that God's creation surrounds us and we encounter it every day. We are fortunate in this world and in this community to have so many wonderful places and opportunities to encounter this creation of God. And our sense of place can root us deeply in an understanding of God's creation. And it connects us to the place where we are. It therefore becomes important to us to care for the creation that immediately surrounds us. Now, if you don't remember what happens immediately after the story of creation we heard in our children's message, let me remind you that after the world and all its inhabitants were created, God charged the humans with the stewardship of all creation. Sometimes we read a translation that says dominion, but there it means we are to be the stewards, the managers. And what is a manager or a steward supposed to do but to care for what the, the leader, the owner, has given us to make it better and more and more wonderful. So stewards... We are called to care for creation. Genesis 1 reminds us that we, human beings, are created to fill and take care of the earth. Our sense of place helps us to particularly want to care for the places we call home, those places we most ex deeply experience God's creation as it is connected to us. 
Unfortunately, we as humans have not always done such a wonderful job of caring for God's creation as ordered. I was a toddler the year the Cuyahoga River near Cleveland, not too far away from my beloved Linwood Park, caught fire. The river caught fire because of the oil-soaked garbage floating down its waters. I remember times as a child that we didn't want to go in the waters of Lake Erie because of the trash that was floating up on shore, and years in which we were warned not to eat the fish that we caught near the shore because they were the most likely to be contaminated by the chemicals and other sludge dumped into the lake by the corporations along its edge. These messes helped to instigate the creation of the EPA and influenced the development of the Clean Water Act. And Lake Erie made amazing improvement as a result of people taking the problems of our human actions seriously and taking more care with the gift of water and land and creation there. Yet as recently as August 2013, residents along the lakeshore near Toledo were told yet again, don't drink the water at least until we get things a little cleaned up. And a renewed push was made to find solutions to care for the land and water and its inhabitants there. And that push comes not only from the scientists, but also from people of faith who believe that we are charged to be responsible for that care. Certainly local issues of creation care are an important part of conversation when decisions are being made in this greater Charleston area and in Mount Pleasant. Decisions about how much and how to develop marshland, how to deal with rising waters and increased frequency of severe weather events, how to maintain the beaches and also the flora and fauna that are so important to this area while addressing the growing infrastructure needs of the developing community of humans that live here. What does it mean to this community to save the oak trees, to protect the turtles, to replenish the oyster beds, May 5th, 8 a.m., <laughs> to take care of the cleanness of the waters of the Ashley and the Cooper and Shem Creek, to actively work against the prediction that if we keep going the way we are, in a few decades there will be more plastic than fish in our ocean. We care for the land because it means something to us. It is our place. It is the creation that God has given to us, and we want it to be there not just out of a sense of nostalgia for something we once loved, but so that our children and their children and their children may encounter God in it. The need to care for our creation according to our scriptures and faith and our experience is about respecting God's great gifts to us, it is about our obedience to the call on our lives to be stewards of those gifts. And one more reason, because it is the place where we encounter God in our daily lives. If you were present for Booker Dalton's funeral this week, you heard the Reverend Harrington speak of a passage from the Chronicles of Narnia, a 
purported children's book by C.S. Lewis. And at the end of the series, in the final chapters, the children who are the main characters of the story have died not only in that life but in this one and are entering paradise. And it is described like this. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. But think of it like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea and the mirror were in what was in one sense just the same as the real one, yet at the same time, somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like place in the story, a story that you have never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as though it meant more. And following this, one of the creatures of Narnia declares, This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Our passage from Revelation tells us a similar story and is the basis for Lewis's understanding of a future life in God's kingdom. For the new kingdom is like the old but perfect. You did hear that the holy city would come down. And in that holy city, light will come from God. There will be no need of sun or moon or stars Creation will come from God, the tree of life, the water of life, the healing leaves for the restoration of all the nations, all of them. And in that city, God's presence will be fully known in a way that we are only able to connect with in small ways in this life. We do know that presence in this life. We know it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that presence of God at the baptismal font and at the table where we will celebrate the sacrament today. We know it in the sharing of the good news. We know the presence of God dimly reflected in our own imperfect communities, on the faces of one another, and indeed in the creation that surrounds us. There is a reason that so many of us look to nature when we talk about our experiences of God in this world. And so in addition to respect for God's gifts in creation and our responsibility to be stewards of it, we know that we must care for this earth because through our experiences with God's creation, we encounter and experience the promise of all that God has for us. Are we not so blessed and gifted? And we are thankful, indeed, for God's great love for each one of us. Amen.